Hey, I want to do something different to start today. If you have a phone, you, can you go ahead and get it out? If you don't, it's not a big deal. Uh, we've done this before. We're going to do some uh, kind of interact- interaction together. and You uh, and I can see kind of what we think as a group. And so if you have a phone, this is, this is the appropriate time to pull it out in church. Uh, there are inappropriate times to pull it out in church, uh, but here is one of the appropriate ones. And uh, what we're going to do is do some live polling uh, related to what we're talking about today. And so the way uh, you can participate, and if you don't have one, not a big deal. You'll still get to see uh, everything that's up here. Um, the way you can do this is you can open up a text message, and you're going to send a text to the number 37607. Everything is at the top for you. So you can send a text message to the number 37607. And the message you're going to send, I'm doing this right now, 37607. The message you're going to send is Huntington FBC, all one word. Okay? So you can send a text uh, to that number. Uh, and you'll be able to join and answer each of the questions. And the first question is just kind of a throwaway so you can practice. Uh, But which age group do you fall in? So you can send A if you're under 18, B if you're 18 to 29, uh, and all the way down. So we'll give it a couple minutes so you can see. uh, This is just so you can practice uh, this first question. Um, and I know we've got a lot of 65-year-olds are opposed to having phones in church, which is why there's no one answering that. But, oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, uh, okay, Nate, can we go to the next question? You can join at any time, so if you're a little behind, the instructions will be on the screen. Uh, this is another kind of simple one, but how long have you been a part of our church? Uh, have you been here uh, less than a year? Have you been here... 1 to 5, 5 to 10, 10 to 20, 20 plus, and that's where we stop. Uh, Just kind of interested to see who we have in the room today. And we do have a mix of people uh, just because of the sickness and stuff going on. Uh, So we got a mix. A lot of people, a third of us less than five years, and then two-thirds of us more than five years. Um, Interesting. Okay, let's go to the relevant topics for our sermon today, Nate. Next question. This question says, what percentage of people in your friend-slash-family circle are Christians already? Okay, so think about the people you friends with, your group of people that you do life with. What percentage? Is it almost all of them? Is it most of them? Is it uh, maybe half and half? Is it most of them are not? Or is it almost none of them are Christians? In your people, circle of friends that you interact with on a normal week, normal month, people you would call friends, what percentage of them would you say are Christians? Um, So this is hard because I have to interpret these live uh, because I don't know what, but basically what this says so far, and it looks like we've got 60 plus people uh, participating, probably like three quarters of us, most of our friend group is typically Christians. Uh, Very few of us, in fact, maybe just one person would say that most of their friends are non-Christians as compared to those who are. Um, All right, next question, Nate. Uh, 
this question says, when was the last time that you personally shared the gospel with a non-Christian? So this is not just helping somebody, not giving somebody a homeless guy food. When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody about the good news of Jesus, that he can save us from our sins? Was it in the last week? Was it in the last month? Was it in the last six months? Was it in the last 12 months? I meant to tell you, all of this is uh, anonymous. So I can't go back and, and track you down and say, Bruce, why haven't you shared the gospel with anybody? I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Uh, but when was the last time? Was it in the last week, last month, last six months? Never. Um, so it looks like we've got about 50 or 60 people responding. So that means in the last week, uh, roughly six people have shared the gospel with somebody, which is, I don't know if you feel like, should we pat ourselves on the back or should we be ashamed of that? I don't know. Uh, but in the last month, almost a third of us have shared it with somebody. Um, that's cool. All right, next question, Nate. I hope you're learning from this. This is not just meant to be for my own benefit. <laughs> uh, Question, how often do you pray for opportunities to share the gospel with non-Christians? Is it often? Is it sometimes, if I remember? Is it not very often? Is it never? How often are you praying for opportunities with a non-Christian friend or just random? How, how often are you praying uh, to have an opportunity to share with them? Um, so it's roughly pretty split, maybe equal percentage of us from sometimes to a lot, um, but more, more frequently, probably not that often, maybe half of us, not that often. Okay, next question, Nate. Um, this is a different kind of question. You get to respond with words, okay? You can, you can submit any words, uh, but it does need to be one-word answer. So if you got like a phrase like... Uh, Chicken McNuggets, put it all together, okay? That's not an appropriate answer to this question. Uh, but what are the biggest reasons that Christians do not share the gospel with non-Christians? Uh, what are the biggest reasons? So this can be your own personal thing. This can be what you think everyone else thinks. But what's the biggest reasons uh, that Christians do not share the gospel with non-Christians? Uh, the way this works, the bigger the word is on the screen the more times it's been answered. Uh, and if it's, if it's small, uh, then, uh, then it's just been answered once. Some of you figured out you can submit emojis. Uh, please don't abuse that privilege. Uh, I will find you and hunt you down if you don't. So the most common answers so far, and you can submit more than one, by the way. If you've got other thoughts, you can do more than one on this. Uh, the most common answers are fear or scared, which is, I guess, same thing, just different words. Um, we've got rejection is a big one. Knowledge, uh, judgment was one of the big ones. Uh, and then a whole bunch of other words. Time, and we even got a chicken emoji, so don't know what that means. Oh, you're a chicken, I get it. Okay, um, okay let's go to the next one. Last question, I believe. Um, this is really the point of the sermons. Uh, think about it with me. What places that you go to regularly can you build bridges with people to share the gospel? So think about places, events, 
physical places, groups, what places that you interact with people on a regular basis do you have an opportunity to build bridges? Another way to say this would be, what is your mission field? Where do you already interact with non-Christians? What places do you go uh, regularly that you can build bridges with people to share the gospel? Uh, Walmart. Wow. Uh, good luck. I'm just kidding. Uh, work is by far the most. School, um, ballpark, uh, college. Uh, school is by far the most. Uh, I'm assuming that means probably teachers and students. Um, so I hope maybe even seeing some of these up here will help you maybe change your mind a little bit about why you participate in sports. Uh, will change your mind a little bit about why you go to school, <laughs> why you go to work, because it's not just for education, it's not just for uh, money necessarily, but God has put you there with relationships with people in order to build um, bridges with them. Um, okay, that's our last question. Uh, so this is the appropriate time to put your phone up, uh, unless your Bible's on there, I guess. Um, I want to make it clear uh, what we've been talking about, that for us to be, Nate, we can take this off the screen, uh, for us to be the church that God is calling us to be, that each one of us, that last question is the key. Each one of us will have to take personal responsibility to reach the people that are inside of our circle. The people that we already interact with, the people that we already do life with, that we, we see on a regular basis, we will have to do that. But also based on this, most of the people in those circles, who are they? They're already Christians. And so actually the point for us today is that we will have to expand our circles or we will have to build bridges to other circles. We can't just reach the people inside of our circles. Why? They're already reached. We're going to have to step outside of that. And for us to become the church that God wants us to be, uh, we will have to learn how to build bridges to people, how to intentionally connect and engage people with the gospel. Um, I want to look quickly at what, the, what is the pattern in the New Testament and then one example of how Paul did this. Uh, but the pattern in the New Testament is this, from, from when Jesus leaves the earth until he gives it to the church, what did, what did they do with this? So when Jesus leaves, think about Matthew 28, the Great Commission. When Jesus leaves the earth, uh, he gives them this command. He says, go and what? Go and... There's more people than that. Go and make disciples of who? Of who? Of all nations, right? So that meant all kinds of people. And then in Acts, he even takes it further, and he gives them what? He says, go to the ends of the earth, right? So it's starting here. He says, uh, Matthew 28, the really, really the way we ought to translate it is, as you are going, make disciples. So this as you are going is just as you're living your life, as you're going to the ballpark, as you go to work, as you do what you do, make disciples, and then he also pushes it to the end, get outside your circles and go to the ends of the earth. Go to all the nations, all the peoples, all the different people. This was, from the beginning, this was his plan. 
You're responsible for the people inside your circle, but we're also responsible to stretch our circle and to reach other circles. Does that make sense? So Jesus gives them this command, but they don't really do it. Uh, Matthew 28, they're, 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 doing, they're good at the part of let's reach the people inside of our circles, the people that we naturally interact with every week. But this is just like any human in our flesh. What do we do as humans? We like to be with people that are like us. Uh, whether that's skin color, whether that's uh, what we look like, pretty people tend to congregate together. Whether it's background and education, whether it's uh, how we were raised, whether it's whether we're city or country or whatever, we like to be with people that are like us. And we like to interact with people that are like us. We like to stay inside of our circle. And Jesus' command is, no, that's not going to do. If we're going to reach the whole world with the gospel, we have to get outside of our circles. But they don't. Acts 1 and 2, he gives them uh, this same command again. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's their circle. Judea, that's a little bit further. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people the gospel all throughout the world. But what do they do? They're really not obedient to it. Uh, if you read the book of Acts, they're only reaching the people that are right there with them, right there in their circles. Uh, and it, it takes God kind of cattle prodding them to get them outside of that. Uh, in Acts 8 and 9 and 10, we get three examples where God's like, you're not getting outside of your circles. And so he sends three individuals to three people that are outside of his circles. Acts 8, God sends Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was a disciple who walked with Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch was a royal in the Ethiopian country, right? A black man, very different than him. And God sends Philip to him to expand the gospel further. Acts 9, God sends Ananias, a Christian, to Paul, a persecutor of Christians. Very, very different than him. And then in Acts 10, God sends Peter to Cornelius. Peter, a, a disciple of Jesus, to Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who Jews did not associate with, right? Very different than him. And God is prodding them. Go, go reach the nations. Go step outside of your circles. Go build bridges. But they're not doing it unless God forces them to. And it's not until Acts 13 that a church, a group of people, finally are obedient to do this as a group. It's Acts 13, and that may seem like, oh, it's just a few chapters, Byron. It's about 18 years from the time that Jesus left. It's 18 years until a church is obedient to do what God told them to do. That's a long time. <laughs> 18 years. They knew what they were supposed to do all along. All those 18 years, they weren't, it was not unclear what their purpose was. But it took 18 years before a church said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to go reach those who are not like us. And so in Acts 13, the church in Antioch send out Paul and Barnabas to go as missionaries. To go intentionally cross language and cultural barriers and boundaries in order to build bridges for the gospel. And the rest of Acts is the story of how the church becomes more and more obedient to that. And so I want to look at Paul's example today as he's on one of those missionary journeys to help teach us what it is going to look like for us to engage our community. 
But I think we need to stop here for a second because I think one of the application points for us is this. I think we're a lot like this church in between Matthew 28 and Acts 13. We know what we're supposed to do. (laughs) It's not unclear to many of you who, who have been in this church for very long what our goal, what our aim, what our purpose is, right? What is it? To make disciples, to reach people for Christ all around Huntington. That's our goal. That's our aim, right? That's not unclear, and that never has been. I don't know that we need more training. I don't know that we need more programs. I don't know that we need another sermon. We just need to be obedient, right? That's really what this comes down to. It's not unclear what we're supposed to be doing, and we're a lot like this church. And I guess my hope today is that we would be like the church in Antioch that just finally goes, you know what? We're going to do what Jesus said. We're going to go and we're going to reach the lost. We're going to see people come to know uh, life in him. So I want you to flip to Acts 19. I want to look at one example of Paul and how he engaged people with the gospel. Acts 19, uh, verses 8 through 10. Um, Paul is in a city called Ephesus. Ever before there is an Ephesian church, Paul is in this this place that is entirely Greek. Uh, There are some Jews there who have been scattered because of persecution, and so they have a place of worship. But this is a totally pagan place, right? No Christians, nothing when Paul shows up. And so Paul shows up, and and let's read what he does, verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, "And, and he, Paul, entered the synagogue... Uh, synagogue is a Jewish place of worship, not the temple. This is a little uh, place where they worshiped when they weren't in Jerusalem. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. Listen to these words, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him Instead, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so this was Paul's strategy. When he went to somewhere new, he he first tried to find some people that were similar to him. He tried to find some people that were like him. And so he went to these Jewish synagogues, right? He was a Jewish background. He knew these people. They were like him. And so he went there, and as long as he was able, as long as he was welcome, as long as he didn't make certain people mad, he was allowed to stay, and he would, he would reason with them. He would persuade them. He would urge them in the way of Jesus. Um, this may have been because they were, they were more similar to him, but he would convert people. He would see disciples made. And this strategy always worked, and it always backfired. <laughs> he always saw people come to know Christ. But he always made him mad. And eventually he got kicked out of every synagogue he ever went to. (laughs) This was Paul's strategy. It always worked and it always backfired. And there came this point in every place that he went that he would be rejected and he would have to, he couldn't go to the the synagogue anymore. And so he'd have to find somewhere else to go. And so in different places, it was was different places. But sometimes he would leave and he would go to people's homes. Uh, Lydia in uh, Philippi. Uh, Jason in another place. There's other examples where he would go to people's homes. But here in Ephesus, for whatever reason, maybe nobody's house was big enough. Maybe nobody influential had had come to Christ. But he 
through this guy named Tyrannus gets this opportunity to go and teach in this hall of Tyrannus. Has anyone ever heard about the hall of Tyrannus before this morning? Oh, wow. Okay, good. Well, I was there about Monday when I was reading this. This term, uh, yours may say lecture hall. It may say school. What does somebody else's say about this hall of Tyrannus? Does anybody have a different word? School. Lecture hall is a common translation. Uh, this word is skole, and it, it really means leisure. Uh, it means uh, like free time. It means uh, hobby. It means downtime. It means what do you do uh, when you have coronavirus and you get a week off of school, right? It's leisure. What do you do in that time? And so this, this hall of Tyrannus was a place that people went when they had free time. It was a place where they went when they had downtime. It was a hobby. Now, school doesn't sound like a hobby to us because it's required, but for them, it was a hobby. It was a place that they could go and they could learn when they had free time. And so this, it was probably some public auditorium. I think, have you been to Ephesus? Okay, sorry, I didn't know. Uh, I get lost in all your stories about where you have been and haven't been. But uh, uh, Tyrannus was this guy who either owned it or was an influential teacher, but probably Paul had seen him become a disciple. And Tyrannus goes, hey, you know what? I've got this hall that I teach in. How about you come and teach? So Paul took this opportunity. He probably worked in the mornings as a tent maker and then uh, some of the early manuscripts tell us that from about 11 to 4 p.m. he would teach. And he did this for two years. Um, this was a lot like, in, I lived in Spain back in the day. And my favorite thing about Spain, one of my favorite things was the siesta every day, right? They go to school and then they eat lunch and then they nap for three hours and then they go and party, whatever. Uh, and it's similar in this, this time, that the people would often work in the morning when it wasn't as hot. They would take off the heat of the day and rest or do leisure. And then in the evenings, they would work again or whatever with their family. And so this leisure time was this built-in time where people would do something that they wanted to do. And for a lot of people, they wanted to learn. They wanted to debate. They wanted to engage with ideas. This was normal in their culture. So what was Paul doing? He looked around and he said, where are people already gathering? Where do people already get together and do stuff? Where do people already have conversations with one another? He, he wasn't allowed in the synagogue anymore, and so he goes, you know what? What if I use that? What if I go have conversations there? And so Paul took this opportunity. He looked around at his culture, and he said, where are people already together? Where are people willing to have a conversation? And he went there and he started a conversation. Now, what was he doing? I want to, I want to look really clearly at how he did this. Verse 8 uh, uses uh, some three different words that I want to talk about. It says that Paul was reasoning with them. Uh, reasoning is uh, the word that we get our term dialogue for. What's a dialogue? Somebody? It's a conversation, right? It's between two people or a group of people, right? So he was not just lecturing. He didn't just stand up like I am today and deliver this boring monologue for 40 minutes, right? He was dialoguing with them. He was engaging them in conversation. It wasn't just a one man, let me dump all these facts on you. No, it says he was reasoning with them. 
back and forth. They had questions. He's answering. He's got questions. They're answering, right? He was reasoning with them, discussing with them. The other word that's used is he was persuading them. It could mean to urge or to, to convince, right? He's not, he's not just giving this boring, like, uh, you know, Jesus died on the cross, and if you give your life to him, you can, you know, he'll save you, right? No, no, he is passionate. He is persuading. He is trying to convince them that this is the way to life. He's not just dumping a bunch of words on them. No, he is engaging them in conversation, and he is persuading them because he knows what he has to say matters and is true. And the last word is boldly. This is how he was doing both of those things, reasoning and persuading. He was doing it boldly. It means to speak freely, to speak confidently. And the reason he could do this boldly, because it had changed his life, because he really believed it, and because he really wanted to see them come to faith. It says that he did this for two years. Uh, It seems to happen every day, although maybe he took the Sabbath off. And it gives us the result in verse 10. It says, this continued for two years so that, listen, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This doesn't mean Asia as we know it with China and India and all that, right? This is that region of Turkey uh, modern-day Turkey, he says, all the, re- all the residents had heard the word of the Lord because of what he did in this hall of Tyrannus uh, that none of us had ever heard about before this morning. What he did in engaging people with the gospel had such an impact that everyone had heard. Now, I don't, I don't think that this means that every person uh, came to that hall to hear him. I think what it means is that he... As he's making disciples, they're making disciples. As he's teaching people, they're teaching other people, right? Because it says in verse uh, verse 9 that he withdrew to this hall of Tyrannus with the disciples. He took the disciples with him. So it's not just him alone doing this, right? It's not, uh, he wasn't limited by space. He wasn't limited by how much he could do as a person. No, he invested this in other people so that they would go and do the same thing, such that In a span of two years, thousands upon thousands of people had heard the word of the Lord. Uh, It's a lot like what he says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, that what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so what he was doing was entrusting this to the people who came to faith, and they were doing the same thing. It wasn't just him alone. It was a group project. Okay, this is what he did. This is Acts 19, his example in Ephesus. And I just want to take four lessons for us as we think about how do we reach and engage 8,000 people in Huntington, Texas with the gospel. Uh, they're in the bulletin. They'll be, you can write them down. Uh, there's four words. They don't rhyme. They don't spell anything. They don't start with the same letter. And so I'm probably disqualified from being a Baptist preacher today. But there are four words. Uh, They're probably not even catchy, but they're four words. Uh, First word is this, context. Context. What Paul did, he used their free time, their existing context, their existing uh, rhythms of life in their community, their existing places that they got together. He used that as an opportunity to engage people with the gospel. 
It was, it, it was normal for them to show up to these places and have a conversation. It was normal for them to want to hear other ideas. And so he used that to his advantage. Uh, he met them where they were at, right where they were already at. And then he started a conversation. And so the, the first point for us today, for all of us to think about, and as a church, as a group, but really as individuals, what is our context? What is, what is our context? What is your context? What is the place that you are already going to where people are already getting together, where people are already having conversations? What, where is that place? You, you answered it on the screen with the polling. Where is that place? There's all kinds of places that we already interact with people of all kinds. And there's probably places that exist that we don't actively go to as a church or as individuals, where people are already gathering, already having conversations. See, I think for us as a church to be successful in this, we have to, as individuals and as a church, go, wow, how can we take the natural rhythms of life, the hobbies that exist, the free time that exists, how can we step into that and have a conversation with people, right? Like, I don't, I don't think it's going to be this massive program, hey, let's build a bigger building so we can get 8,000 people in it, right? That's never going to happen, right? It's going to be about us engaging people where they are already at. It's about stepping into that and having a conversation, being bold enough to have a conversation with people, that's the first word, context. Uh, the second word is engage. Uh, I think what Paul was doing as he reasoned, as he persuaded, was way more than just word dumping, here's a bunch of truth. I hope it takes in your life. <laughs> no, no, no. He was engaging them. He cared about them enough to listen, to reason with them, to ask questions, to answer questions, to dialogue back and forth. Um, engaging people is not just word dumping some script that we have taught you about how to share the gospel. Engaging someone is caring enough about them to reason with them, to talk with them. Uh, I, my generation gets a lot of flack. And millennial is used as a bad word a lot of times. And for, for all the negative that we bring to the workforce and other places, uh, my generation does care about things that are genuine. My generation does care about things being real and honest, not fake, not pretend, not cheesy, not hokey. And so I think if we're going to reach my generation with the gospel, it's going to have to be a real conversation. It's not going to be some cheesy slogan, uh, here's the four letters and here's the gospel presentation. That may work on some but I think for most of my generation, they've got questions. They've got thoughts. And they need to be engaged back and forth. They need to have a conversation. I think engaging is not just, we talked about a couple of weeks ago sharing our story as, as, a, as a method for sharing the gospel, and that's great. And, and you can learn, you know, bracelets. I know Gary has one on his wrist that has like some symbols on it, the easy way to share the gospel. And you can do that stuff. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I think we have to learn to engage people. I think it means asking a lot of questions, having a conversation with somebody. Hey, where do y'all, do y'all go to church anywhere? No, we, we used to go, but we don't, 
oh, tell me about that. Why don't y'all go anymore? Well, you know, we didn't really like the preacher, and we just kind of got busy. Well, what was he saying that y'all didn't like? Well, uh, I don't know. He said something one day about Jesus, and that ah, just didn't sit well with me. Well, what did he say about Jesus? Well, I, you know, I don't really know. Uh, he said something about he's the only way to say, well, what do you mean? He's, you see what I'm saying? It's a conversation. It's engaging people. I haven't said anything. I'm just asking, where are you coming from? What do you believe? How were you raised, right? Engaging people is way more than just dumping on them. Here's what we believe about salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ, right? It's a conversation. It's interaction. And I think that's what Paul was doing in this hall of Tyrannus. Way more than just lecturing and truth blasting. He was having enough care for people that he was willing to have a conversation with them. I think it means that sometimes you're not going to know the answer. And that's okay. Because I think what matters more to somebody that you're having a conversation is you being honest enough to say, I don't know. Let me go find out. That matters way more to them than if you have all the answers. And here's what matters more is if you can go and research that and come back to them and tell them, hey, here's what I think. I I, I looked at your question. Here's what I think. Engaging people is not cheesy or hokey. It's about a real honest conversation with people. The third word, lesson from Paul, is group. Third word is group. Uh, As we saw in verse uh, 9, it says that Paul took the disciples with him. So he had seen people converted, and he took them to the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, He didn't just go by himself. And so I think this one has been maybe the most challenging one for me, is that evangelism is not just a one-man show. It's not just a uh, me by myself on this lone, this dangerous, scary frontier with these non-Christians, right? It's a group project. Right? Paul would not have seen all these people come to know the word of the Lord if it was just him. It had to be a group project. It was everybody buying in. No, this is our job. This is our purpose. Uh, we don't know exactly what these other disciples were doing. We don't know if they're small groups. We don't know if it was one-on-one that they're speaking, but what we do know, the only way this could have happened was that they were engaging people with the gospel. This is a group thing. I I don't think that, uh, I think one of the things we need to grapple with is that this has to be a church-wide thing. It's not just uh, for paid staff, although we ought to do it, It's not just for people specifically gifted in evangelism, although they ought to do it as well. It doesn't tell us that these disciples were especially well gifted by the Spirit to share the gospel. No, it says that they just did it. Um, And so I think one of the things that we have to wrestle with is that this has to be the whole church going, this is our task. This is our mission. The last word is time, and we're running out of it. So, time. It says that Paul taught for two years. That's an extended period of time. I imagine some people were there day after day after day after day, month after month after month after month. Sometimes we think of evangelism as just this one time, you know, we're going to invite people to Easter and go have a conversation and share the gospel with them, and by all means, let's do that. But a lot of times... It's going to take time. It's going to take one conversation after another, after another, after another, right? There's uh, research out 
nationally that says that uh, the average number of times it takes for somebody hearing the gospel before they believe it is seven. The average number of times that someone hears the gospel presented before they ever believe it is seven. That's the average, uh, which means sometimes somebody hears it once and they believe. Some people hear it 40 and never believe. Some people hear it 15 and believe. Some people hear it two, but the average is seven, okay? Seven times, somebody sitting down with them explaining the truth of the gospel. It takes seven times. And so we can get so discouraged because they rejected us. They didn't believe. They didn't respond, right? And I think one of the things that we have to understand is that it just takes time. It takes more than one time with somebody, often. Our church, we've we've talked about this. There are roughly 8,000 people in Huntington, Texas, in our zip code school district. Uh, The most recent stats say that about a third self-identify as evangelical Christian, one-third of those 8,000. So that means two-thirds of 8,000 are not believers in Christ. So we're just going to do some round numbers today. That's about 5,000 people in our zip code, our little circle right here, that don't believe in Christ. This is advanced math, but if we (laughs) say those 5,000 people need to hear the gospel seven times, before, on average, before they believe. Do you know how many times we as a church are going to need to share the gospel? 5,000 times 7, which is what, Shane Stover? No, he's not in here. What is it, Bruce Reynolds? 5,000 times 7. 35,000 times. And I don't know if that number makes you go, wow, that's never going to happen. Or if you go, oh, wow, that's feasible. 35,000 times. If we as a church are sharing the gospel, I don't remember, it was 10% that said they had shared it in the last week. So let's take that 10% of about 70 who were responding. Uh, I'm just going to round up to 10. If, if we as a church are sharing the gospel 10 times a week, do you know how many years it's going to take before we reach those 5,000 people? 67. 67 years. And so I think what I'm trying to say this morning is this. If we continue doing what we are doing in sharing the gospel with our neighbors, engaging the gospel with those around us in Huntington, Texas, at the rate that we're doing it, it's going to be a long time before we see 5,000 people come to know the Lord. We believe that the gospel is the power of the salvation for all who believe and that you must hear the gospel in order to respond to it. And if we as a church are sharing it 10 times a week among all of us that exist, not just the people in this room, if we're only doing that 10 times a week, it's going to take us, it's never going to happen. It would take us as a church, as a group embracing this and saying we're going to stay committed as a group for this time to engage our community in all the different contexts that exist to engage the gospel. It would take us 130 times a week. And that may seem daunting. Well, we got to share the gospel 130 times a week for five years. You know, I don't know how many are in here. Probably about 130, 150. And this is half of what we normally have. If half of our body would go, we're going to share the gospel once a week, You know what would change in our community? Everything. 
You can go read the results of what happens in Ephesus. We don't have time this morning. What happens in Ephesus is that even the, the sorcerers and those practicing exorcism and those people who are crazy lost come to faith. Them sharing the gospel, engaging the gospel with their community had radical transformation in Ephesus and in all of that part of Turkey. Why? Because they committed to it for a long time as a group to engage in whatever context that they existed in. And that's where we are at as a church. If we don't, we will never see Huntington be described like that, a place where everyone had heard the word of the Lord. It will not be described as a place where the word of the Lord prevailed mightily, as it talks about in this passage. If that's our goal, it's not going to be elaborate programs, it's not going to be Uh, incredible events, and those things may happen. It's not going to be catchy wristbands or a nice slogan on the wall. It's going to be each one of us taking personal responsibility to reach the people in our circle and to push our circles out so that we would see lost people be found, so we would see addicted people set free, so that we would see broken people healed, so we would see dead people come to life. That's what we want to see in Huntington. And so what it's going to take is us engaging people with the gospel. Will you stand with me? Let me pray for us. Um, God, I, I thank you for this morning. God, and I, and I, don't, I don't mean to be accusatory in any way. I don't, I don't, I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody, God. And uh, I pray that we as a church, as a group, God, would, you would do something in us that would so move us to believe your word and to be obedient to it. God, we're, we're, not, we're not unaware of what you want us to do in Huntington, God. And I think, I, I fear we're just not obedient to it. So I pray that each one of us, God, would resolve... Um, to engage our community, our circles, our contacts with the gospel. Let's start there. And when we get rejected or it's not working, let's move beyond to those outside. Let's build bridges to, to other places, God. But God, teach us to engage people with the gospel. Teach us to have real honest conversation with people. Teach us to be willing to step in and ask questions and listen, God. I pray that you would give us the wisdom, God, about who to engage and who not to. God, I pray that you would open up doors for us as a church, even even in this crisis right now, God, of how we can share the gospel, how we can engage our community with the only hope we really have, God. God, we need you and... God, I pray that as we respond in in a song and in worship and um, any who don't know the hope that that is in Jesus, God, would, God, you would move their hearts to believe that Jesus is the only way that they'll ever find life and that he loved us so much that he died on the cross to save us, God. God, I pray that they would respond in faith. God, and you would use them, God, to reach Huntington, God. We pray all this in your son's name, amen.